Y'all turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7. And as we all know, today is the day we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And based solely on the songs that we sing and the cards that we send this time of year, here's how I think most people think the story goes. Are you ready for this? On December 25th in the year zero, a man named Joseph was trying to find a suitable place in Bethlehem for his wife to have their first child. But a cranky hotel owner took one look at this pregnant woman on a donkey and said, hit the road. Fortunately, the innkeeper's wife snuck Joseph and Mary into the stable behind the hotel. This is a very unique stable featuring animals that never made a sound and did not go to the bathroom ever. <laughs> the whole place was dirt free with reverent lighting and the smell of cinnamon and pine cones in the air. There, Mary knelt down and in a few moments of painless labor produced a newborn baby with flawless skin and a golden halo around his perfectly formed head. Like the animals, the baby also did not cry or go to the bathroom ever, ever, ever. Joseph was by this point useless, so Mary asked him to tear up strips of a satin bed sheet for her to wrap the baby in, figuring this was a job even a man could not mess up. <laughs> Meanwhile, a group of shepherds who looked exactly like bearded male models wearing L.L. Bean hoodies were surprised by a group of angels who looked exactly like naked infants with wings. The angels told the shepherds to go to Bethlehem and see the new king, so they went immediately to the stable, which was easy to identify because a huge supernova star was sitting directly over it, and the strains of the Hallelujah Chorus emanated from inside. Curiously, no one else in town noticed this. But soon, some visitors from out of town arrived, and so Mary, Joseph, and the baby were joined by three ornately dressed kings, a little drummer boy, a crippled lamb, Frosty the Snowman, the full cast of the Nutcracker, and Joel Osteen. <laughs> After posing for a few pictures, the whole group went home and found to their delight that Santa had brought them all remote control drones, Nerf blasters, and a Snuggles the Dream puppy. So it all ended happily ever after. Now, we know that's not the way it went. I had fun writing that, by the way. Let's read how it actually happened. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It's a very different story than what we commonly see in cards and carols. Let's get some myths out of the way. Notice there's no innkeeper mentioned in the story. There's not even an inn mentioned. In fact, I, I shouldn't say that. There may not have been an inn. Now, I hope this doesn't rock your world too much. There are some scholars who believe that the word that's that, that we translate inn, there was no room for them in the inn, is actually should better be translated guest room. And so this theory goes, and I've read a few articles about this, that Joseph and Mary actually went to the home of one of Joseph's relatives who lived in Bethlehem. He probably had relatives since that's where he was from. And there was no room in their guest room. And so uh, peasants in those times, and even today in the Middle East, often sleep with their animals in the house with them, in a lower floor of the house. 
And the, the theory goes that Jesus was born in that animal area of the house and was laid in a manger. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go home and throw away your manger scenes. I don't know if I believe that theory or not. It's just to say it's important for us to know what's actually in the Bible and what's assumptions we've made and stories we've heard based on cards and carols and cartoons. Here's something else. The wise men weren't there. The wise men weren't there that night. They came days later, maybe weeks, maybe even a year or two later. And here's something else interesting. Joseph never speaks in the entire Christmas story. In fact, in all the Bible, Joseph never utters a word. And some women might say that makes him the perfect man. <laughs> the, point, the point I want you to get is, when you look at what the Bible story actually says, it was a tough way for Jesus to be born. It was a tough way for Mary to bring her firstborn son into the world. Mary couldn't have expected things to go like this. Remember, she was a young girl, perhaps as young as 13, in a, very, uh, uh, in a culture that, where women had one purpose and one hope, really, and that was to marry well and to bear children. And I'm sure when she was growing up, it didn't look like this in her mind when she would bear her firstborn. I'm sure she didn't expect that, first of all, that she would have an unexpected, unplanned pregnancy, an unexplainable pregnancy to those who didn't believe her story of an angelic visit and the Holy Spirit producing this child. I'm sure she didn't expect that when she was near the end of her pregnancy, when she was, as the King James says, great with child, she'd have to make a 90-mile journey uphill most of the way through dangerous terrain, treacherous areas, with only this guy who she barely knew as her companion and her protector. I'm sure she didn't expect that when the labor finally started, and all of you ladies who have given birth think back to when your first child was born and the pain you felt, the, the unexpectedness of how that pain hit you. Imagine not having family around, not having a doctor there, but giving birth in the midst of strangers far from home. And maybe worst of all, after all of this, all of this, all of this seemingly unnecessary hardship, she gives birth and she, she holds this wriggling, squealing, slippery infant and looks around herself and realizes, I've got nothing to give my child, nothing to offer him. When, when Carrie and I had our first child 19 years ago, I was making less than 20000 a year and, and she wasn't working, so we didn't have much. But even we had a, a special room prepared for our baby, painted in bright colors, decorated, a crib, more diapers than you can imagine, everything the baby needed. Mary had none of that. And I say all that to say this, it's commonly believed, even today, especially today, that if you're a believer in God and you do things the right way, you obey Him, you trust Him, you, you, you follow His commands, then things will work out for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. We know that. That's Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. But we think that means God's going to lead us into good times. Everything's going to work out for us. Nobody could possibly ever have done things as right as Mary did leading up, in the days leading up to the birth of Jesus. Yes, she was human. Yes, she was a sinner just like us. But she trusted in God. She obeyed Him when she didn't have to. She said yes to some really extreme plans that He had for her. Mary did things the right way, and yet things didn't go well. And yet things were very hard. 
Christmas in the real world was difficult. And I say all that to say to you, if right now you're going through difficult times, if right now you're struggling, if right now things aren't working out for you, it's not necessarily your fault. It's not necessarily because you did something wrong and God is punishing you. Now, I know this doesn't sound like a very encouraging thing to talk about on Christmas Day, but remember, we're following somebody who was born at Christmas time and who later grew up to say on the last day before he died, in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So what's good about this Christmas story? What's good about the hardship that Mary went through bringing her son into the world? Three things. Number one, it tells us God is in control. No matter what the circumstances say, no matter what the world shows us, no matter what we see on the news, God is in control. Notice the whole reason that Jesus was born in Bethlehem was because of a decree from a man who never met Jesus as far as we know, who never knew uh, Mary and Joseph, who probably didn't even know of the existence of a place called Bethlehem, a man named Caesar Augustus. Born Octavian, took on the name Caesar when he became emperor of Rome. And, and Caesar was not a believer in the God of Israel. In fact, he'd probably never even heard the name of, God, of Israel's God. He thought himself to be divine. This, this man was, was egomaniacal, he was, he was distant, he cared nothing about God's people or their God, and yet his decree that there should be a census, that everyone should go to their hometown, is the reason why Micah's prophecy was fulfilled, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. And you think about that for a moment, because you and I get all worried when we watch the news, we get all worked up. And we see that, that uh, ISIS is doing this in, in, over in the Middle East, and Putin's doing that over in, in Russia, and, and what is North Korea doing right now, and, and, and what is this guy doing? And then we, we worry about our own leaders and what they're up to. And God says, don't worry about this. I've got it. God is not up there wringing his hands in fear. Oh, I wonder what they're going to do next. God's in control. That doesn't mean that every action of every world leader is entirely the will of God. Obviously, that's not true. It means that no world leader on earth, not all the kings and, and dictators and presidents on earth can thwart the will of God, that God's plan still gets accomplished. And sometimes he uses those world leaders to accomplish it. There's a proverb, Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. God gets his work done, and we can cooperate, and we can sit back and, and relax and, and trust in him and be at peace, or we can live in fear. Either way, he's going to get his will done. He's in control. Second thing, our trials enable us to reach others. Our trials can make us useful to God in a way that we wouldn't be if everything worked out perfectly. Notice, and, and later on in the chapter, we know this part of the story. Mary and, and Joseph and the baby received visitors, only one set of visitors that first night, and it was shepherds. And they were brought there by a detachment of angels. God invited one group of people, and they weren't scholars, and they weren't theologians, and they weren't 
world leaders and they weren't generals, they were shepherds. And that's an unusual choice. You probably know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Shepherding was considered the lowliest profession. Shepherding was in many ways lower than slavery. To be a shepherd meant you lived among the sheep. It was dirty work. It was uh, time-consuming. This is true. If you were a shepherd, you were unwelcome in the temple. You were considered ritually unclean. If you were a shepherd, you wouldn't be received in polite company. Nobody said, oh, what's your son doing? Oh, he's a shepherd. Well, you must be so proud. No, if you were a shepherd, you were a shepherd because you couldn't get work anywhere else. And so, and so it's very likely that these men who first saw Jesus included some criminals in their number, maybe some people of questionable parentage, people of bad reputation. And I remember preaching that years ago, and a friend of mine who was in the congregation came to me afterwards, and she said, I really don't like hearing that because I grew up around farmers and my dad was a farmer and I've always grown up picturing the shepherds as being good salt of the earth blue collar guys like my dad and like those other farmers. And I know why we want to believe that everything was nice and polite and pure on that first Christmas. But don't you think that God's way is better? Because as Jesus grew up and began his ministry around the age of 30, who was most drawn to him? Who were the people who couldn't get enough of him? Who were the people whose lives were transformed by him? Who were those who flocked to him wherever he went? It was, it was people who were on the margins of society, people who polite company wouldn't welcome in, people who, if they came into our church, we'd, we'd step back and say, should we call security? Those were the people that were drawn to Jesus. Those were the people he came to redeem. And if Mary had given birth in a palace, the shepherds wouldn't have been there because Mary gave birth and laid her child in a manger. She drew to her those who needed Jesus the most. And that's beautiful. God can use our trials. Our trials aren't all about us. Sometimes the worst things that happen to us give us a credibility among those who are hurting that we wouldn't have if everything went perfectly. And then third, number three, this story tells us the Lord's plans are bigger than we can imagine. Now, later on in chapter two, we're not going to read it, but there's a long section, and it's a story that there's no carol that sings about as far as I know, and you rarely hear this talked about at Christmas time, even though it is a Christmas story. Forty days after Jesus was born, his parents took him to the temple in accordance with the word of God, the law of Moses said that when you give birth to a boy, you take him to the temple and you offer him to the Lord. And what you do is you say, this child is yours, but you don't want us to sacrifice him. Instead, we, we offer a lamb in his place. Well, Mary and Joseph couldn't afford a lamb. So the law made provision for poor couples like them. They gave two pigeons or two doves instead. And as they were offering those sacrifices, the priest was offering those sacrifices. In the middle of this sacred, ancient ceremony, an old man comes out of nowhere and, and takes the child from his astonished mother and holds him up. I picture sort of like the Lion King, you know, holding him up in the air. And, and he prophesies over this child. And this man is Simeon. He spent night and day in the temple for years. I imagine most of the Israelites thought Simeon was just some crazy old guy, maybe even his own family. But he had been promised by God 
You will not die before you see the Messiah. And so here are the words of Simeon in verse 33. I'm sorry, here here are the words of Simeon. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And then verse 33 says, the child's mother and father marveled at what was being said about him. Now that's an interesting statement. Because Mary and Joseph knew who their baby was. They knew he was born to be Messiah. So why were they so astonished to hear this man saying these wonderful words about their child? I think the answer is because he said something about Gentiles. See, Mary and Joseph, like all other Jews, thought that the Messiah was going to be the Savior of their nation, that He would come and unite His people, that He would lead His people to peace and prominence and prosperity. Again, it would be a new golden age. They didn't have any idea that, nor did any other Jew, that God was going to use His Messiah to reach the whole world, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. This is good news. Very good news that God had a bigger plan than anyone in this time imagined. So, what does this mean for us today? There's some of us, if we're honest, we would say, you know, I've got a lot of fear. I watch the news every day and things just seem to get worse and I don't know what's going to happen. And to us, those of us who are afraid, whether it's events in the news or, or things that are happening in our own local lives, we need to pray to God and say, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen, and I can't control these things, but I believe you're in control, so I just choose to trust in you. Even if I feel fear in my heart, I will pray every day and say, Lord, I trust in you. Help me, Lord, to just be so in your word and so in prayer to you that I exhibit peace instead of the fear the rest of the world sees. The world needs to see the peace that passes understanding in you and in me. And if you're filled with fear today, ask God for that peace. Ask Him to help you trust. Some of us here this morning would have to admit we're going through difficult times. We're going through times that are the hardest we've ever experienced. We wouldn't wish what we're going through on our worst enemy. And if you're one of those people I would challenge you to pray, Lord, help me to think about something more than myself in my time of suffering. I know that you're going to take care of this. I know that this will not last forever and good times are around the corner. But in the meantime, don't let me waste my pain. Help me to see the opportunities that I have to testify to others of your goodness. Help me to see the opportunity that I have and will have as someone who's now suffering to reach out to people who suffer as I do. Use me. And don't let me waste this time. Some of us would say, you know, right now my life is pretty mediocre. I believe in Jesus and I'm here on Christmas morning and I I thought that should count for something. But honestly, if if I'm totally open, I know that my life is mainly about myself and I'm not really accomplishing anything for God. 
And if, if that describes you or if it's pretty close, I would challenge you to pray, Lord, forgive me, forgive me for thinking too small. Forgive me for thinking only of my own little hopes and dreams, but Lord, help me to see you've got bigger plans for me. Help me to see that my life is precious and for the years that I have left in this world, you can do amazing things through me. Help me to see your plan and to accomplish it. And then there are probably people here this morning And if there are, I'm so glad you came. People who would say, I just don't even feel like I'm worthy of God. After the things that I've done, after the things that I have in my heart, the darkness that exists in me, I don't know that God could ever accept me. And here's the best news of all. See, the Christmas story says that God's ability to fix things is so much bigger than our ability to mess things up. God's love for us is so much wider than our sin. That God's righteousness is so much greater than all of our guilt. That there's nothing we can possibly do to make Him love us any more or any less. So we can just turn ourselves over to Him and receive the love that He came to give us. Because as I said last night, and I can't say it often enough, religion will tell you, do things the right way. Be a good person. Be righteous. Be religious. And things will go well for you. But God's message is different. God's message says, no, it's not about what you do. It's about what I've done. I came for you. I'm knocking on the door. All you must do is let me in. Have you let him in? Christmas Sunday morning, the best thing you can possibly do if you haven't yet is let him in. 